Blog Talk Radio. for listening to Eastern Airlines Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. All listeners around the world, we say welcome. Welcome to the Eastern Airlines International Radio Show. Uh, We have some breaking news we'd like to tell you about. And just a minute, I'll have our broadcast uh, host, with us and we'll do our first breaking news with the breaking news Super Bowl 53 New England and the Rams Moscow Putin held a parade in Red Square Monday to celebrate the KGB victory and America Super Bowl whistleblower Anna Kovova reports that the Bose headsets were totally hacked, comrade. Explain how Putin gained total control of both teams during the game. Using hackers, the complete playbook for both teams were obtained. People were trained to sound just like coaches over the headsets. Advanced voice process logarithms were used for this. Putin called every play for both offense and defense. He cleverly controlled the coin, t- the coin toss as well, using space-age secular weapons. <laughs> using satellite-based laser systems, he caused the losing team to miss the extra kick. Putin turned off the TV during halftime, however, claiming that he hates satanic symbolism. During the game, he engaged with, in Skype conference with Trump, who was in on the gag. Carrie, do you have something? Chuck, this is out of New York. After 49 years of identifying its Super Bowl events with Roman numerals, the NFL switched to modern numbering for Super Bowl 50. But the antique counting system was not going down without a fight. A group of accountants and a quotient of sixth grade math teachers have joined forces to keep the Roman numeral alive. II plus II equals IV just doesn't add up for some people, says Hubert Farfling, president of the newly founded group that calls itself When in Rome. That confusion is why the NFL switched to conventional numbers for the first time in the history of the game. They figured that Super Bowl 50 would confuse, or Super Bowl L, would confuse the fans 
who are already drunk out of their minds and confound the veteran players who have been concussed out of their skulls. According to the experts, this switch will actually hurt Super Bowl advertisers who are paying millions to reach those inebriated minds using capital letters to count significant events as an elegant way is an elegant way to tie products and services to the game's heritage, noted one marketing guru. Unfortunately, America can't do the math. When in Rome has leased an advertising blimp which will fly over Levi Stadium continuously throughout the game. It will flash messages that support the usefulness of Roman numerals. Among the benefits that will be projected remain to be seen. family and friends around the world. It's great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright. I'm sitting in for Jen Hart tonight. He lives up he, I, he lives up in West Palm Beach area, and I live in the villages just north of Orlando, Florida. Welcome. Thank you for listening and calling the show. We have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become Eastern Airlines International Radio Show. We love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk to us on the air. It's live, you know. We can identify many countries around the world who listens in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great to keep the Eastern legacy going out to not only the Eastern family, but the listeners from many different countries around the world. What that we do every week on Eastern Radio Show. Want to join us by adding your voice to the broadcast? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on their homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider. Blog Talk Radio at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Should you wish to talk to our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night's visit. And, oh, by the way, you want to tell your friends about us. 213-816-1611. Don't forget, you can listen to any of our 401 Monday nights broadcasts and 75-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, scrolling down through the archives of our broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. Nearly 500 Episodes. Wow, we're doing really good there, folks. Our lines are always open for calls. And if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises, kind of like ice cubes and glass stuff. Neil, can you check your screen and tell us who our hosts are for tonight's episode? Okay, uh Chuck, thanks so much. Jim Hart, 
could not be with us tonight, so thanks for filling in for him, Chuck Albright. We have, let's start up in uh, New York. Uh, George Jen can't be with us tonight, but we have um, Mike Scott. Mike, check in with the weather for us. Tell us what's happening up there. Yes, good evening, everybody and all the Eastern fans. It's uh, up here on Smithtown, Long Island. It's right now about 43 degrees and clear, and it's supposed to go up to 51 tomorrow, so we're going to have to need to get the sunblock out. <laughs> we also like to welcome Al Jenkins over in Atlanta. He listens to us. I see his area code with us, uh, and also uh, we have a Canadian caller that calls in from time to time. And uh, thanks so much for checking uh, our listening tonight. Uh, let's go down to Atlanta and check in with Jerry Frost. Jerry, how are you tonight? Fine, Neil. How's everybody out there? Well, I, I don't know what the temperature is uh, right now, but I can tell you that uh, this week we're going to be up in the 70s, believe it or not. So eat your heart out, uh, people up there in the uh, up up there in the north. And uh, we're quite concerned because of these temperature fluctuations that our plants, uh, they're getting confused whether they should start blooming or not. So we're hoping we'll get some cooler uh, weather in the meantime. Jerry, so, uh, I, always Jerry? Thought, I always thought the flowers were confused when we changed from Eastern Standard Time to Daylight Savings Time. I thought the little there flowers were confused. <laughs> okay, Jim Holder. Uh, just across the street over there. How are you, Jim? Yeah, across the street. Yeah, I'm partly cloudy. It's went up to about 70 today. It's going to be there tomorrow. So the big peach is recovering from the Super Bowl. Okay, it's what we're going to talk about. And underneath your roof, lovely Carrie. Carrie? Hey, uh, it's pretty warm in Conyers. I think our local groundhog. General Beauregard Lee did predict six more weeks of winter, though. Well, didn't Patuxent Charlie, or whatever his name is up in Pennsylvania, didn't he say an early spring? Yeah, so um, Beauregard Lee. We got one down here, though. Old Beauregard. (laughs) Beauregard, yeah, we got a. Beauregard, Bullet, Brummy. Okay, came out with an overcoat on. Yeah. What? So the groundhog came out with an overcoat on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go down to the villages, and there we have three or four folks that uh, are with us tonight. I'm going to start uh, with, uh, let's see, well, you just heard Chuck. Chuck, your backyard? Yeah, we're uh, we're doing pretty good here. I think we're sitting right around uh, 65 right now. It's going to stay pretty um, even through the evening, so we're going to have a nice evening. Had a nice day. All those and 53 horses were full. Okay, and just a few miles down the street, Don and Dorothy Gagnon. Don, Dorothy, how are you? We're fine, Neil. We're doing great, Neil. I hear that I'm going to have one more weather this week, so I'm really in my glory. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dear Lord. <laughs> and, and not too far away is Norma Jean Morgan. Hello, Norma Jean. Hi, Neil. We've had absolutely perfect weather today. It was 60 this morning, about 7. 
I think it got to 74, 75 today. It was absolutely perfect. And it's supposed to be 78 uh, toward the end of the week, like Thursday, Friday. And it's just divine. Yeah, I think I saw 80 in our newspaper here in a few days from now. So crazy, crazy out there. Back to you, Chuck. Okay. Well, thanks, Neil. I see uh, we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get Eastern Flight 401 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 volt. Roman numerals beyond 10. Why is it necessary? Because we have the Super Bowls, of course. Learn the basic value of each digit. There are only a few Roman numerals, so it doesn't take long to learn them. I equals 1, V equals 5, X equals 10, L equals 50, C equals 100, D equals 500, and M equals 1,000. This is so simple. America tried to go metrics with the rest of the world back years ago, and you know how far that went. Can you imagine an airline flight number being called out on the terminal PA system? Flight DCCXC1X, now boarding at (laughs) gate XVI. Even our episode, CCCCI, is an alphabet soup spoonful. Hey, this is fun. And now I'll start giving my age in Roman numerals. I'm L-X-X-X-I-I-I. Actually, you can add another I. But anyway, with the help of Google and Alexa, I could be quite proficient at this. Oh, I forgot. 
Let's get back to the history of Super Bowl L-I-I-I. In MCMLXVI, that's 1966, of course, everyone knew that, two football leagues were vying for gridiron dominance. The Venerable NFL and the sports newcomer, the AFL. On June 8, 1966, the two leagues announced their plans to merge rather than compete over players in a split fan base. This meant a new championship game had to be conceived that would show which was the dominant league every year. Today, we know it as the Super Bowl, one of the most polished, extravagant events of the entire year. But on January 15, 1967, or I should say MCMLXVI, when the first AFL-NFL World Championship game took place, it was something bordering on a disaster with television mishaps, a dispute over the name, and thousands of empty seats marring the very first Super Bowl Sunday. To see how the big game nearly fell apart, Here are eight facts about the first Super Bowl game. It was only casually known as the Super Bowl at first. In 1966, meetings were going on about the first ever championship game between the NFL and the upstart AFL set up to be played in January uh, of that next year. In addition, to talking about location and logistics, the big question on everyone's mind was what to call it. Though Pete Rozelle, the NFL's commissioner at the time, suggested names like the Big One and the Pro Bowl, which was the same name as the NFL's own all-star game, it was eventually decided that the game would be called the AFL-NFL World Championship Game. Jerry, a name like that does does not create much buzz, though. When the newly merged league needed something more punchier than Lamar Hunt, he's the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, recalled a toy his children played with, a Super Bowl, which led to his idea, the Super Bowl. The name <laughs> picked up support from fans and the media, but Roselle hated it, viewing the word super as too informal. By the time the game began, the tickets read, AFL-NFL World Championship Game, but people were still offhandedly referring to it as a Super Bowl. By the fourth year, the league caved in and printed, finally printed Super Bowl on the game's tickets. For Super Bowl V, that is, the Roman numerals made their debut and stayed there every year except Super Bowl 50 in 2016. The first three championship games have also been officially renamed Super Bowl retroactively. I'm not sure about that 2016. The game was aired <laughs> on two different networks. Since the first Super Bowl involved two completely different organizations, there was a bit of an issue televising the game. Listen up. NBC had the right to air AFL games, while CBS was a longtime rights holder for the NFL product. product. Neither station was going to miss out on its respective league's championship game, so the first Super Bowl was the only one to be simulcast on two different networks. Rival networks also meant rival announcing teams. CBS used their familiar roster of play-by-play Ray Scott in the first half, Jack Whitaker in the second half, 
and Frank Gifford doing color commentary for the entire game. Kirk Browdy and Paul Christian led the voices for the NBC. Listen up. It turns out the competition between the networks for rating superiority was just an attempt as a helmet rattering game played on the field. Tensions were so high leading up to the game day that a fence, a fence had to be built between the CBS and NBC production trucks to keep everyone separate. The more <laughs> familiar NFL broadcast teams over CBS won the ratings war that day, beating the NBC speed by just a little bit over 2 million viewers. Now, Chuck, how large a crowd did it draw? Well, Jim, you know the game didn't come close to a sellout. Cheapest price for a Super Bowl 52 ticket hovered around $3,000. But frankly, you could probably charge people double that, and the game would have been the guaranteed sellout. The first Super Bowl, however, didn't quite have the same catch behind it. With tickets averaging around $12 in the AFL and NFL World Championship game, couldn't manage to sell out the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in 1967. It's still the only Super Bowl not to fill up its venue. Despite blacking the game out on TV stations within 75 miles of the Coliseum, to get fans to the stadium rather than Watching it at home, about a third of the stadium seats were empty. Some fans balked at the steep $12 ticket price, while others were so incensed on the blackout that they stayed away out of protest. However, the reason the sight of 10,000 empty seats for what was supposed to be the most important game in both leagues' history was not what Roselle had in mind when the Super Bowl was conceived. Different balls different rules, uh, they were used for the game. The overall product between the AFL and NFL weren't that different. There were a few hiccups when making the rules fair for both. Both teams, the AFL two-point conversion rule, for example, it was used for the entirety of its existence, was barred from the game, allowing only traditional points after field goals instead. When the AFL and NFL later merged, the two-point conversion was banished altogether until 1994 when it was reinstated league-wise. Carrie? Chuck, the other big change for the game was the ball itself. The AFL used a ball made by Spalding, which was slightly longer, narrower, and had a tackier surface than the NFL's ball, which was created by Wilson. To make each team feel at home, their own league's ball would be used whenever they were on offense. The second half kickoff had to be redone because cameras missed it. When the second half of Super Bowl I began, everyone was ready for the kickoff, players, refs, and the production crew. Well, one production crew was ready anyway. It turns out NBC missed the opening kickoff of the second half because the network was too busy airing an interview with Bob Hope. The kickoff had to be redone for the sake of nearly half of the TV audience. Even worse, some poor soul probably had to break the news to the Packers coach, Vince Lombardi. The halftime show included two dudes in jetpacks. Forget your Bruno Mars and Beyonce performances. Super Bowl One's halftime show was an affront to gravity itself as two men in what can only be described as jetpacks, though technically they were called rocket belts, 
flew around the field to give people a glimpse at what the future of slightly above-ground travel would look like. Very little video exists of the spectacle today, but this performance was later revisited at the halftime show for Super Bowl XIX when jetpacks made their long-awaited return to gridiron absurdity. In addition to airborne theatrics, the inaugural show was in, also included some marching bands and the release of hundreds of pigeons into the air, one of which dropped a present right on the typewriter of young Brent Musburger. <laughs> yes, and Carrie, the original broadcast footage is currently in legal limbo. Unlike today, where games are DVR'd, saved, and edited uh, into YouTube clips and preserved for all eternity, there is no complete copy of the broadcast edition of Super Bowl One. In 2005, a man from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, found a copy of the CBS broadcast in his attic, which had been recorded by his father on a two-inch quadruplex tapes. However, the halftime show and parts of the third quarter were missing. The third footage... Uh, correction, the footage had been digitally restored and is currently locked in a vault at the Paley Center for Media in Manhattan. To this day, it hasn't been shown to the public, as Roy Haupt, the tape's owner, is the legal, in legal limbo with the NFL over the exact worth of the footage. And number eight, they had NFL had tried and failed to show the game in some form in 2016. Perhaps as a way to show Haupt that they didn't need his tapes the NFL released a version of the game cobbled together, not from CBS or NBC footage, but from a video edited together from its then nascent NFL film division. With the game's radio call played over it, and every play from the game was aired in 2016, albeit not all was originally seen as it was in 1967. Unfortunately, the game was featured some question, the game featured some questionable running commentary from the NFL's network current analysts during the entire broadcast. The rebroadcast was such a disaster that the NFL had to re-rebroadcast it without the intrusive commentary of its own analysts. Dorothy? Now let's play Super Bowl trivia. Can anyone tell me the year in Roman numerals, of course, Eastern Airlines did a Super Bowl commercial. Anybody remember <laughs> that? Oh, uh, not me. Oh, How about come on. you, John? No. No, I don't know. 1900 and that's as far as I can remember. <laughs> 1900. <laughs> CCD5 XLM. That was a good one. That's XZI. I I is our answer. That's eighteen. Uh, X D I I I. Oh, nineteen seventy-eight. Right. Oh, did I get it wrong? Because I wrote. Sorry. (laughs) Nothing. Never mind. I got it right. Nineteen (laughs) seventy-eight. Why does the NFL use Roman numerals? Lord, I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, you got to put your thinking caps on. Wait. The NFL well, has been y- using Roman know, numerals to designate Super Bowls since the fifth installment of the game in 1971. 
The league announced Wednesday, however, that the designation will change in 2016. That's going back a little bit, as it has decided to go with Super Bowl 50 rather than utilize the Roman numeral L, June 4th of 2014. Well, you're not doing good, guys, so let's try this one. Why did Super Bowl 50 not use Roman numerals? Yeah, just the letter L wasn't uh, sophisticated enough, I guess, for the game. Right. Didn't, look good on the, didn't look good on the hats. Yeah, the NFL, it could have been 5X. <laughs> <laughs> the NFL will not use Roman numerals for Super Bowl 50 in 2016 because using Roman numerals to designate Super Bowl since the fifth installment of the game in 1971. When they developed Super Bowl XL logo, that was the first time we looked at the letter L, Weston said on June 4th, 2014. Norma Jean? Well, uh, before Norma Jean uh, goes on, uh, we said that there was an Eastern commercial that uh, was played in 1978, and I found that commercial, and I want to play it now. This was a commercial that was used for the Eastern's advertisement of the Super Bowl. If you like people, you'll love New York. Eastern takes care of about 5 million travelers a year here. For many of them, their first contact with us is BT Times. We've just added a half million dollar baggage system to help him out, but it can never do the job he does. The A300 is our biggest new investment. It's quiet, fuel efficient, spacious. But if our crew doesn't make you feel comfortable, it won't matter what plane you're flying. I fly Eastern, but you don't have to. So we have to earn our wings every That sounded like Borman. It was. Yep. Uh, Super Bowl commercials have become a cultural phenomenon of their own alongside the game itself. Many viewers only watch the game to see the commercials. The national surveys, such as the USA Today, Super Bowl, Ad Meter, the judge which <coughs> which advertisement carried the best viewer response, and CBS has aired yearly specials since 2000 chronicling notable commercials from the game. Super Bowl advertisements have become iconic and well-known because of their cinematographic quality, unpredictability, surreal humor, and use of special effects. The use of celebrity cameos has also been common in Super Bowl ads. A number of major brands, including Budweiser, Coca-Cola, Doritos, GoDaddy, and Master Lock, have been well-known for making repeated appearances during the Super Bowl. The prominence of airing a commercial during the Super Bowl has also carried an increasingly high price. The average cost of a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl has ranged from $37,500 at Super Bowl I to around $2.2 million at Super Bowl XXX in 2000 and by Super Bowl... In 2015, had doubled to around 4.5 million dollars. 
Wow. The cost of advertising during the Super Bowl has reached a point that some companies may not be able to recoup their costs from the resulting revenue. Some commercials airing during or proposed to air during the game have also attracted controversy due to the nature of their content. Don? Norma Jean, Super Bowl com- commercials are largely limited to the United States broadcast of the game. Complaints about the inability to review the ads are prevalent in Canada, where federal uh, SIMSUB regulations require paid television providers to replace feeds of programs from the U.S. broadcast stations with domestic feeds if they are being broadcast at the same time as a Canadian broadcast station. In 2016, the CRTC, Canadian's telecom regulator, enacted a policy to forbid the use of SimSub during the Super Bowl, citing viewer complaints and a brief that that these ads were an integral part of the game. Super Bowl uh, L1, which was uh, 51, was the first game to fall under this policy. The NFL's Canadian rights holder, Bill Media, it challenged the policy at the Federal Appeals Court, arguing that it violated the Broadcasting uh, Broadcasting Act by singling out a specific program for regulation and devalued its broadcast rights into the game. The court, however, ruled in December 2017 that the CRTC's actions were reasonable. Now, can anybody ever remember the Budweiser Frogs? (laughs) Neil, we have a clip from Budweiser. Bud Light presents Real Men. I must have scared him. (laughs) (laughs) It leaped away. Budweiser. I can't believe they went with the frog. Our audition was flawless. We did the look. Huh? We did the tongue thing. Mm-hmm. That was great. Louis, frog sell beer. That's it, man. Number one rule of marketing. The Budweiser lizards. We could have been huge. Hey, there'll be other auditions. Oh, yeah, for what? This was Budweiser, buddy. This was big. Those frogs are going to pay. Let it go, Louie. Let it go. <laughs> you stink! Get off the stage! Your mother's an iguana! Hey, my mother's half iguana. I'm sorry. I meant no disrespect. <laughs> what the? Whoa! Whoa! I'm no electrician, but that has got to be dangerous. Oh, my. Bud? Whoa. Louie. Frankie, eventually every frog has to croak. <laughs> That's not funny. I laugh when I say it. Oh, my, did you see that? Louie. They never saw it coming. What have you done? Poor froggies. You've lost it, Louis. This is the best day of my life, Frankie. 
Huh? What was that? Frog? Bud. That, 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 that was a mistake. Wise. Parrot said he... What is it? Bud. No. Wise. No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, never hire a ferret to do a weasel's job. You promised me, ferret! <laughs> ferret, ferret, ferret. Do you even remember our original plan? Oh, you do, huh? You didn't stick to it, did you? What were you, nuts? Look at me! How can you even look at me? Turn away! Frank... I'm thinking about moving to another swamp. No, really? I'm just not comfortable living in a swamp where assassination attempts are taking place. Every loon with a vendetta, every snake with a sinus headache frightens me. Hey, gonna... snap out of it, Louis. Everybody knows it was you. Oh, Frank, I had no motive. No. I love Budweiser, and I love the frogs. Oh, yeah, you're good buddies. I oh, forgot. Excuse me, if you would remember last summer, mm -hmm. I invited them to that barbecue. Yeah, well, Louis, you wanted to cook them at that barbecue. <laughs> but at least I invited them. Oh. You wouldn't have invited them at all. Frankie, baby, I got some great news. What is it, Louie? The middle frog, mm -hmm. he's experiencing post-electroshock muscular irregularity. What? He's developed a nervous tick, Frank. He can't act anymore. It's horrible. Yeah, what are you going to do? Budweiser wants me to replace him. What, they lost their minds? All my hard work has paid off. Your hard work? Yeah, well, the auditions, you know, the drama classes. Yeah, Louie, you hired a hitman. With my own money, I might add. Oh, that is boy. just a scream. Why? <laughs> oh, boy. Why? Why? Louie. What? Just say the line. That's what I'm doing. No, you're not. You're going, why? These are my interpretations of the part. This isn't Shakespeare. You're replacing a stressed-out frog. Hey, Frankie, you know what they say? <laughs> what? There are no small parts, only small lizards. Nobody says that. I do. I say it all the time. Good. Why? <laughs> What? You stole my line. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if you saw the video, you'd love them. They did a lot of them at Super Bowls, but uh, it was uh, hilarious. Okay, yeah. Mike, what you got? Yeah, when they when they when when the Budweiser got the bill for that one, they must have croaked. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys and gals, can we do a Super Bowl joke now? It's time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell it anyway, and it's about ladies and their understanding of the game. They had great seats right behind the team's bench. After the game, he asked her how she liked the Super Bowl experience. Oh, I really liked it. She replied, especially the tight pants and all the big muscles but I just couldn't understand why they were killing each other over 25 cents. <laughs> Dumbfounded, he asked, what do you mean? He says, well, he flipped the coin, and one team got it, and for the rest of the game, all I kept screaming was, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. <laughs> like, I mean, hello, it's only 25 cents. Mike, if you can get away with that, then let me tell you one about my Cajun friend, old Bugro. He won a free ticket to the Super Bowl, the one there the Saints should have been in, of course. When he got there, he found out his seat was in the nosebleed section behind the end zone, a really bad seat from which to see all that. After a while, he decided to walk around the stadium and noticed an empty seat right on the 50-yard line. 
He made his way to it and asked the man in the seat next to it, hey, my friend, is this seat taken? The man replied that it wasn't, so Boudreaux sat down. A few minutes passed, and Boudreaux remarked that it had to be one of the best seats in the stadium, and whoever gave it up must be nuts. The man tells him, well, it was my wife's seat, but she died. Boudreaux felt real bad, and he tried to make the man feel better. Well, you could have got one of your relatives to come with you. The man says none of them can make the game. They all at the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Nosebleed Section Ticket Holder Guy. Mr. Nosebleed Section Ticket Holder Guy. Congratulations. With the help of two Sherpas and a mountain goat, you have finally reached your seats. Touch the sky. Tickets, check. Souvenirs, check. Oxygen mask, check. Getting dizzy. From where you sit, you can see your house and Canada and Japan. I see Okinawa. The one thing you can't see, the game. Oh, no. So crack open a nice cold Bud Light, oh chairman of the cheap seats. Because you, sir, sit on top of the world. Literally. Bud Light Beer, Anheuser Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, that's uh, a scream. I forgot about some of those. Uh, here's a couple of sayings, and uh, then we'll move right along. But uh, uh, this one was said by Walt Garrison. Uh, I don't know. I only played there for nine years. He said that when I asked if Tom Landry ever smiled. <laughs> and uh, John Breen at Houston Oilers said, we're, we're, we're tipping off our plays. Whenever we broke in uh, from the huddle, three backs were laughing, and one was pale as a ghost. <laughs> Bum Phillips we all remember Bum Phillips being the New Orleans coach, and after viewing mm-hmm. the lopsided lost Atlanta Falcons, said the film looks suspiciously like the game itself. <laughs> 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 and uh, oh, some great sayings by these guys. Let's see if I can pick out one more. Well, here's a Green Bay Packer receiver, Max McGee. He said, when it's third and ten, you can have the milk drinkers. I'll take the whiskey drinkers every time. <laughs> oh, let's see. One more I think I can pull out here from, uh, well, here's one from Newt Rockney himself. When asked why Notre Dame had lost a game, he said, I don't know until my barber tells me on Monday. <laughs> uh, and let's see if that's uh, about it, I think. And then we've got uh, uh that's about all oh the, the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker uh EJ Mahalab uh, uh, regarding his 12 knee operation said this my knee looks like they lost a knife fight with a midget yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh, that's my knee hurt yeah there you go Jim you know Jerry how about it you're up. Jerry Frost? Jerry Frost? You're tuning in? I'm here. Let me get my place. I'm, 
I was so engrossed with all the jokes that I've I've lost my place, but I will get uh, on board here very quickly, and I yeah. think I'm here. All right. Uh, to many people, it's the most exciting sport on earth, American football. And when the ball is booted into play in Super Bowl 53 on Sunday, 3rd February, about 50 billion people around the world will tune in to watch. Can you imagine that, 50 billion people? Yeah, there's not that many people in the world. Is there... As well as being exciting, it's how much money they made. Especially if there are other things that you could be getting on with. Commonly known as gridiron, the game has an extremely complex set of rules, and it's probably easier to gain a medical degree or to study the field of nuclear physics than to learn the ins and outs of so-called football. The build-up starts on the morning of the game, when opposing fans meet up on the stadium parking lot for a wanky barbecue and beer. They laugh and joke about each other's players, mock each other's cities and their respective levels of yokeldom, then exchange Facebook details, shake hands and hug, and go inside the stadium where the real action isn't. About three hours before the game starts, a man with a microphone drones on about something or another about how great America is, and then the crowd practices executing a Mexican wave. When game time arrives, about an hour before the game starts, the players who have been trying for hours to get into their tight lycra pants emerge onto the (laughs) field looking like top-heavy cartoon characters waving to the crowd who, in fact, they have never met. The game itself is split into two halves of 30 minutes each, both of which are then halved again, leaving four identical length segments of 15 minutes known as quarters. These 15-minute quarters, however, are made to seem like hours by the (laughs) stop-start nature of the game, which can be halted for a multitude of reasons. A touchdown is scored, a penalty is awarded, a player carrying the ball goes out of bounds, a player is injured, a team in possession of the ball loses it, and it is recovered by a player on the opposing team who is then tackled. The quarterback of the team in possession throws the ball to the ground in disgust or in order to stop the clock. A pigeon alights on top of the head of the quarterback, or there is an earthquake. Norma Jean. The aim of the game is to get the ball, by ever-increasingly desperate measures, into the, quote, end zone, a shaded area at the end of the pitch. If this happens, a touchdown is scored, although, confusingly, the ball doesn't have to be touched down. (laughs) When a team gets the ball, it has four attempts to move the ball forward by 10 yards from the place it started. These attempts are called, quote, downs, end quote. If the team fails, the other team gets possession if they are able to move it 10 yards or more. Then they start another set of four downs to try and move it another 10 yards forward. It doesn't sound very good, but it's better, quote, for seeing. At any point, the team in possession may attempt a field goal, which is a bit like a conversion in rugby, apart from the fact that all of the opposition is running towards the kicker in order to obstruct his kick. The team may also, quote, punt the ball as deep 
into their opposition territory as they can to earn themselves a rest. There are many other rules, but they are just too complex to be bothered with. Now, Majin, one interesting thing you should be aware of, however, is the theme of officiating. On the field, there are seven referees or judges who, should they see an infringement, immediately throw a yellow flag to the ground. This yellow flag isn't really a flag. In fact, it's a small yellow cloth, <laughs> like a duster, which, with which your mom probably used to clean the dust from her ornaments on the sideboard when you were a kid. Anyway, if a duster is thrown, the referee or judge who threw it whispers something or other into the main referee's ear, and then the main referee announces it is to the whole stadium. I can only assume he got the job of being the main referee simply because of his extremely loud voice, which carries to all parts of the stadium without even seeming to shout. Another interesting thing is the system of timeouts. A team can stop the game by calling a timeout. This means they have to get the attention of the referee and make a sign with the hands in the shape of the letter T. The letter T was chosen because timeout begins with the letter T. It's quite simple in that respect. This timeout sign must be made with an uppercase T and not a lowercase T. If a plain tri- player tries to get the game stopped by making the sign with a lowercase T, he's ignored. The game goes on and valuable seconds elapse. Players who make the wrong sign are often treated as idiots afterwards and often become traumatized, turning to all kinds of vice. This year's Super Bowl is in Atlanta and will be contested by the Los Angeles Rams and their compatriots. Well, no matter how you try to explain it, most women would rather play what I think could be described as Super Mall Bowl. (laughs) <laughs> That's when, at the designated time of kickoff, the garage door gently opens to allow this spacious cavern that can hold all sorts of shoes, dresses, clothes, cosmetics, and miscellaneous, otherwise known as must haves. The SUV navigates its way to the shopping mall. That's all right, Carrie. I think somebody needs to go a timeout. (laughs) Now, back home in North Carolina, I heard this fellow tell about football this way. It was back last October, I believe it was. We was going to hold a tent service off at this college town. And we got there about dinner time on Saturday. And uh, different ones of us thought that we ought to get us a mouthful to eat before that we set up the tent. And so we got off of the truck and followed this little bunch of people through this small little bitty patch of woods there. And we come up on a big sign. It says, get something to eat here. And uh, I went up and got me two hot dogs and a big orange drink. 
And before that I could take every mouthful of that food, this whole raft of people come up around me and got me to where I couldn't eat nothing, up like, and I dropped my big orange drink. I did. Well, friends, they come in to move, and they want so much that I could do but move with them. Well, we commenced to go through all kinds of doors and gates, and I don't know what all, and I looked up over one of them, and it says North Gate. And we kept on going through there, and pretty soon we come up on a young boy, and he says, Ticket, please. And I says, Friend, I don't have a ticket. I don't even know where it is that I'm going. <laughs> I did. Well, he says, Come out as quick as you can. And I says, I'll do her. I'll turn right around the first chance I get. <laughs> well, we kept on a moving through there, and pretty soon everybody got where it was that they was a-going because they parted, and I could see pretty good. I, I could. And what I seen was this whole raft of people a-setting on these two banks and a-looking at one another across this pretty little green cow pasture. <laughs> Well, there was, and somebody had tucked and drove white lines all over it and drove posties in it, and I don't know what all, and I looked down there, and I seen five or six convicts a-running up and down and a-blowing whistles. There was. And then I looked down there, and I seen these pretty girls a-wearing these little bitty short dresses and a-dancing around, and so I sat down and thought I'd see what it was that was going to happen. I did. And about the time I got set down good, I looked down there and I seen 30 or 40 men come running out of one end of a great big outhouse down there. <laughs> they did. And everybody where I was a-setting got up and hollered. And about that time, 30 or 40 come running out of the other end of that outhouse and the other bank full, they got up and hollered. And I asked this fellow that was besetting beside of me, I says, friend, what is it that they're hollering for? Well, he whopped me on the back and he says, buddy, have a drink. <laughs> well, I says, I believe I will have another big orange. <laughs> and I got it and sat back down. And when I got down there again, I seen that them men had got in two little bitty bunches down there. They had rail close together. And they voted. <laughs> they did. They voted and elected one man apiece. And them two men come out in the middle of that cow pasture and shook hands like they hadn't seen one another in a long time. And then a convict come over to where they was a standing, and he took out a quarter, and they come in to odd man right there. <laughs> they did. Well... After a while, I seen what it was that there's odd man in fault. It was that both bunches full of them men wanted this funny-looking little pumpkin to play with. <laughs> they did, and I know, friends, that they couldn't eat it because they kicked it the whole evening and it never busted. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, what I was telling was that both bunches full wanted that thing. And one bunch got it, and it made the other bunch just as mad as they could be. And, friends, I seen that evening the awfulest fight that I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
I did. They would run at one another and kick one another and throw one another down and stomp on one another and grind their feet in one another and I don't know what all. And just as fast as one of them would get hurt, they'd tote him off and run another one. <laughs> well, they'd done that as long as I sat there. But pretty soon, this boy that had said, ticket, please, he come up to me and he says, friends, you're going to have to leave because it is that you don't have a ticket. And I says, well, all right. And I got up and left. And I don't know, friends, to this day what it was that there's a doing down there, but I have studied about it. And I think that it's some kindly of a contest where they see which bunch full of them men can take that pumpkin and run from one end of that cow pasture to the other without either getting knocked down or stepping in something. That's football, Carrie. Oh, my God. That little pumpkin, Andy, speaks of, has, speaks of, has become a cash cow on that pasture of green grass. Don, just how rich is the Super Bowl? Well, Carrie, that's a hard act to follow, but let me see if I can go through this as best I can. By any measure, the NFL is the most successful sports league in history. For all the talk of North America's big three, uh, big three sports, or to appease hockey fans, the big four sports, the reality is that there's a pro football and there's everything else the most watched television programs in history, without exception, are the Super Bowls of the various years. In 2017, the NFL earned a reported $14.2 billion in revenue mm. and $900 million from 2016. Commissioner Roger Goodell has, ta- tested, has targeted $25 billion by 2027, or approximately a 6% annual growth. The league, which operated on its own profit organization from 1942 to 2016, earns its money from broadcast rights, ticket sales, merchandising, and licensing rights. All NFL teams are individually owned and subject to taxes. The league shares the revenue it earns with its players in about the 46 to 48% range and among all its terms, all its teams. Again, the primary catalyst is television. Almost two-thirds of the league's money comes from one of two sort of uniform sorts, TV revenue, particularly all of its national TV stations. Every few years, the NFL renegotiates its television contracts, leading to a scenario whereby representatives of NBC, CBS, Fox, and ABC under its sports arm ESPN race to see who can throw the most money at the aforementioned aforementioned billionaires. In January of 2018, Fox announced that they had won the rights to air Thursday night football on their channel for the next five years after two years of split ownership between NBC and CBS. 
While terms would disclose for the deal, it's probably more than the last contract, which was valued at around $450 million. Now, Dorothy, how much do you think Tom Brady will win if earn whether he wins or loses? John, for the championship game alone, members of the winning team will re- receive 118000 each per the NFL's collective bargaining agreement. Both the Patriots and the Rams have already earned 83000 per player in postseason play. That number includes 29000 for the divisional playoff and 54000 for the conference championship. So each winner could go home with a total of $201,000. Players on the losing team won't go home empty-handed either, uh, though each will receive 59000 for Sunday's game. With the rest of the postseason earnings, the individual total payoff bonus could total $142,000. For highly paid players such as Tom Brady, Todd Gurley, and Rob Gronkowski, 201000 amounts are just a fraction of what they make in a year. Aaron Donald, the highest play- paid player in the Super Bowl, earns an average annual salary of $22.5 million. But for other players, such as Rams wide receiver Kerry Darrell Hodge, who earns an average annual salary of 480000 the bonus can be significant. If the Rams win, that's a 42% boost to Hodge's annual average earnings. Back to you, Neil. Well, my thoughts about last night is uh, if you – enjoy watching defense, then you got your money's worth. And uh, just as uh, Tom Brady said during the interview, the young lady on the field, which she had a hard time, if you remember seeing the interview, uh, pressed with uh, people all around Tom Brady uh, about the fact that um, uh, the – oh, I forgot what I was going to say. (laughs) It happened – (laughs) <laughs> it, it happens, but at any rate, he did he did uh, indicate that. Uh, um, oh golly, what was it? Anybody can remember what Tom Brady said last night? Any thoughts of the game? Uh, he praised yeah. the defense. He, that's right. He said the offense didn't play too well. That's what it was, and it was a defensive game. And um, well, it, it was a good. It was a lower scoring Super Bowl game in history. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my and, personal opinion was that it was it was sort of boring, and uh, and I think the halftime show was sort of boring too. But maybe I'm just a grouchy old man. I don't know. <laughs> no, do guys, everybody's boring. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you guys think about uh, Tony Roma uh, uh, and his? Uh, he is he is fantastic. You, He's you a liked great his uh, sports announcer. Okay. Yes, I do. All right. I think well, he I is remember. too. And I'll tell you, he has gotten up there quick. I mean, just what two years ago he was quarterback for the Cowboys, and now he's doing the color for the Super Bowl. Yep. Yeah. He's, you he's remember Howard Cosell? Big... Howard Cosell, yep. oh, yeah. Don Meredith, and yeah. Frank Gifford. 
to me, yep. they they yeah. are the they they are the greats of uh, announcing. Well, I think yeah. it's very exciting. Yeah. Where uh, this wasn't very exciting with some of the the uh, given news tests that they were given out. They weren't really had enthusiasm, and I think that means a lot when you have a game like that. Even when it's not doing well, there's nothing else that they say to make it sound interesting. They don't mm-hmm. give any highlights in between. They just, it's blah. Yeah. They should have had some Budweiser frogs out in the field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that. You mentioned uh, Howard Cosell, Neil. Do you do you remember that night? He was uh, doing the Monday Night Football with uh, with uh, I forgot who it was, but uh, he had a bunch of Budweiser. Dandy Don, Dandy Don, Don, Don Meredith. Yes, Don, Don Meredith. Meredith and uh, did, I remember Don Meredith saying, "I think Howard doesn't have too much to drink." <laughs> and about the third quarter, you didn't hear any more from him. <laughs> well, <laughs> he Jim, got drunk on the air. Jim Holder. I got off the airplane in the old Atlanta terminal, and I was walking uh, down the, the corridor. Uh, and uh, you remember that wing we stuck out there? And and I was walking down. And I see this big, large, uh, tall fella, and I recognized because of the toupee he was wearing. It was it was Howard uh, Cosell, and he had gotten yeah. off an Eastern <laughs> airplane, getting on another one, I guess. And uh, he must have been yeah. announcing the Atlanta game, but. Uh, they were a great team, the three of them. Yeah, they were. They yep. were that. Of course, Meredith played as a Cowboy quarterback uh, when he played mm-hmm. during his time. And Gifford, I believe, played for, correct me if the I'm York wrong. The Giant. The Giant. The York Giant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when well, that inter- uh, Budweiser commercial came out for the Frogs, of course, not being an avid uh, football player uh, or player or, or listener, I should say, I, I never even saw that commercial. I had no idea what it was like. And I went into my boss's office at work, and he had the Budweiser frogs on there, and it looked so cute to me, not knowing how they were saying all the things that they were saying. I said to him, gee, how come you have such a good-looking screensaver? I don't have that. He says, oh, you want it? I'll, I'll have uh, Jim, our guy, put it on your on your uh, computer. I said, great. So the, the uh, technician came over, and he put it on the thing, and I thought it was really cute, although it hadn't done any action yet. Yeah. So now I'm on the phone with a client, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to the client, and we hear everything that you heard tonight on there. Well, we were hearing on there, and it's like, oh, my God, what what in the name of God is this? And they shut my computer off quick. I didn't want the client to hear all all the talk about what the frogs were saying. I was so embarrassed because I didn't realize that it had all that that mumbo-jumbo that it was saying. It was just, it was hysterical when you thought about it. But it wasn't very funny at the time. Well, you know, <laughs> the, between the two lizards, the straight man and uh, the guy that uh, was funny, Louie, and uh, the straight man was saying, give it up, Louie. He was uh, wanting that job uh, doing the Budweiser commercial. <laughs> well, a lot of fun talking about Super Bowl, and uh, we won't do it again. But, uh, 
Uh, Dorothy, <laughs> tell us about a, a few of our next shows, and, and then we'll land the airplane, get out of here. Okay, our next show is going to be another good one. Neil has planned. He's working on it uh, totally to give us something really exciting and fun. And the Eastern crew goes to Mount Hood, so that ought to be really a good a program that we're going to be hearing next week. And that's going to be followed by the Eastern History Set to Music. Of course, we always love to hear that. We're going to hear a lot of Eastern airline music, but it's going to be during the time when we had the music that we all know and love. Uh, we'll have uh, Which Airline Was First. That's another very good episode coming up, and we can't wait to hear that one as well. That's going to be telling us all about the different uh, uh, flights that were done and uh, commercial uh, aviation, the history of it. So that ought to be another good one. And then we're going to follow with another fun show, and that's going to be in March, and it's going to be Airline Humor. So, folks, stay tuned, and you're going to hear a lot of good shows coming up, and we look forward to seeing you or hearing you on our line every Monday night at 7 p.m. Back to you, Neil. landing captain as usual be sure to tune in next week monday february when my america's favorite way to fly takes a trip out to mount hood oregon and the famous timberland lodge and ski resort many eastern employees and families have come down the slopes of this beautiful mountain well that's our show for tonight folks with this we sign off by playing jimmy durani's salute to mrs calabash mr producer Will you please? Good night, good night, good night. It's time to say good night. Good night, good night, good night. What more is there to say? a few laughs, and it's time for two to loot. Up revolt, up we the same, and ink-a-dink-a-doo. Good night, good night, good night. Good night, good night, good night. Well, good night, Eastern family and friends around the world. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. Good night. We love you, Good Eastern. Night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Another great show. Great show, Neil. That was a lot of fun. It was fun. Fun. Good night. You guys yep. did great. Very, Good night. very much so. Good night. I'm going to listen to you. It's time to say goodnight. Goodnight. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you on the slopes. Good night. Portland, Oregon. What more is there to say but good night? We've had a few laughs, and it's time for two to 
Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are.